Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio On this week's episode, we're talking to Garrett Allen. He's the host of the Progress Your Beer podcast, and he wanted to show up on Homebrewing DIY and talk about all things carbonation. So, step into our conversation where we talk about carbonating your beer this week on Homebrewing DIY. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. On this week's show, we're talking to Garrett Allen. He's the host of the Progress Your Beer podcast, and he reached out to me and wanted to have a conversation about carbonating beer. He actually listened to the episode where we talked about packaging beer, and I had a little part where I said, hey... You know, I don't really know the carbonation math, and he reached out to me and was like, hey, let's talk about it. So we're going to have quite the conversation today about carbonating your beer. I'm actually pretty excited about it. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY, and there you can give at any amount. I will say I want to thank all of our patrons it's. It, I know that I always say that that this show can come to you week after week, but in all reality, it it, it is true. I have to say, I, I don't make money at this show. It's not something where I am in it to make money. I know we have some ads. I know we have s- some of those things built into the show, but in all reality, all that does is cover things like my web hosting covers things like my editing software and and just really all of the costs that come with producing a show. People think that, yes, you can just go get a free podcast app. You can, but if you want to do a higher quality show, you got to make some investments. So th- I make those investments 100% with your Patreon money. So thank you so much. Also, another way to support the show is head on over to coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. And there you could do a one-time support you can buy me a beer there on coffee and you know once again any support is going to help the show 
The last way to support the show is to head on over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer. You will see that it is a newly redesigned website of homebrewingdiy.beer. I actually really like the new color scheme. But there you can click on our sponsor banners, and doing so also supports the show. I want to thank whoever went over to Adventures in Homebrewing last week and bought some homebrewing equipment and used our sponsor banner. You know, I, I... do see that, and I want to thank whoever did it. I don't see actually who the person is that does it. I just see that it happened. So thank you so much for doing so. The last, Another way to support the show is obviously write us a review. Head on over to podchaser.com, or you could go to Apple Podcasts, and there you can write us a review. Well, uh, we'll get into feedback and all of that at the end of the interview, so let's just dive into it. We're going to talk to Garrett Allen, and we're going to talk about carbonation. I'd like to welcome Garrett Allen to the show. Garrett Allen is a brewer over at Ska Brewing down in Durango, Colorado, one of very, very good brewery here in Colorado. And Garrett actually reached out to me after my Bottles, Kegs, and Cans episode, where I, in that episode, talked a bit about carbonation and carbonation tables and understanding atmospheres of carbonation. And I kind of, in that episode, said, hey, that's a little bit gap in my knowledge when it comes to math there. And he reached out to me and said, hey, I'd love to talk about it on the show. And considering you're a professional brewer uh, at, at some level, I'm going to assume you generally know this stuff. So welcome to the show, Garrett. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So we're going to talk about carbonation today. And you know, talking about figuring out atmospheres, uh, it also gets into a, a couple of other places where we're talking about like, you know, carbon, maybe carbonating pressures in a keg versus serving pressures. And also when we talk about figuring out priming sugar when you're bottling. So th- carbonation has a lot to do with packaging of beer. And there are some kind of, there's some simple math you can do to figure that out. But, uh, First, let's just get a bit of background on, on your home brewing, and then how did you become a professional brewer? So I started home brewing uh, back in college. I actually um, went to uh, Colorado School of Mines, and I uh, I took a brewing class my senior year just kind of as a... <laughs> it started off as a G- GPA booster, um, one of those things. But I, I just fell in love with it. Um, the learning the, you know, the entire process from malting um, to the enzymes at work and everything. I, I just fell in love with it and was like, this is what I want to do. So, um, so after I graduated, um, I got a Solus pencil pusher job, and really disliked it and reached out to uh, Scott Brewing because they were local to me and. Um, it, it took a little bit because I, I was pretty overqualified, but they finally let me take on a packaging job where I was uh, a keg washer and filler and all that stuff. So that's pretty much where you have to start uh, if you're brand new to the industry and uh, worked my way up and and showed my, showed my work ethic and uh, knowledge and interest and 
uh, here I am as a brewer. That's that's awesome. And and you did do home brewing for a while, uh, probably before you became a pro brewer. You were home brewing, right? Yeah, for like uh, a year and a half or so. Because um, after I graduated, I had that job. Um, you know, uh, and it was with an environmental firm. But um, yeah, during that year, year and a half or so between um, graduating and doing that job, uh, I, I was homebrewing throughout before I was like th- a. a Pursuing an actual career in this industry is really in- interesting. Yeah, and, and so obviously, when you're on a, a canning line and uh, and and when you homebrew, you have to package your beer at some level, right? So, right now, when we talk about at the homebrew scale, most homebrewers when they start out, they start out with bottles, and they usually are going to add the amount of priming sugar that whatever their kit tells them to right yeah what actual math goes in to figuring out the amount to go in for the pressures of uh co2 it's not super complicated um you can go into the stoichiometry of it and um it, you take a lot of assumptions uh what exactly uh, the the yeast is going to take that sugar and just assume it's going to convert that all into um, a certain amount of ethanol and a certain amount of CO2. And um, with that, you can take... So, <laughs> I'll back up a little bit. Um, carbonation is all about... Uh, it's measured in volumes, um, but that can also be converted into grams per liter and uh, grams of CO2 per liter of, uh, of beer. And so when you're doing that actual math, math on your own, um, you're converting those grams of sugar to a certain amount of grams per uh, grams to CO2. And so um, and, and then you can just do that conversion from there. So you want a certain amount of volumes, you convert that to grams per liter, and then you go backwards in the uh, in, in in the chemical equation to to figure out how much sugar you need to put in. Okay, so for example, uh, let's say I wanted to get two volumes of uh, two atmospheres of volumes in a five gallon batch of beer, right? you basically are going to convert those volumes to grams per liter and then work the sugar back that way. Is that, is, yeah, I you that can right? do that. Um, yeah. I typically don't do it that way because there's a lot of brewing calculators out there. Um, yeah, obviously. If you wanted to do it by hand, yeah, that, that would be the way to do it. Okay. And then when it comes to the, the, the difference in the lower kind of uh, uh, when it comes to like lower, volumes of of atmospheres in a beer right so for example let's say i needed something that's closer to maybe 1.8 or two atmosphere atmospheric volumes uh, of co2 versus something that's more like three or 3.5 what what kind of things do those dip, dip what does the difference in those atmospheres do to the actual beer itself flavor wise so this is a wonderful question um Carbonation 
those when that carbonation escapes from being dissolved in in solution of your beer and coming out um it it really it's a carrier for your a lot of your uh, aroma compounds and so if if you have something like an IPA um it it does affect mouthfeel as well so you really want to strike a balance between that uh, that aroma you're the increase in aroma you're going to get with the with a higher carb co2 but it's also going to you know obviously become a more a, a much livelier beer um, and depending on the beer um, it can certainly come across as uh, if you have like a I hate to use the word thinner beer but um, if you have a thinner, like like a seltzer or something, uh, it can create a fuller mouthfeel. But then at the same time, it can also um, help cut through a, a thicker beer. You know, if if you were to um, carbonate a little higher, it wouldn't feel quite as viscous or thick. Um, so, so, yeah. So, like for example, if I have a, a seltzer, essentially has zero mouthfeel because it's essentially alcohol and water. Right. If we, we get it down to it's like it's total like pure components. Right. And so to add a little bit of body to it, they have a very high carbonation, probably closer to like four or five atmospheres. Right. Is that uh, about right? it depends Um the ones I've seen, at least on a on a canning level, at, at least where I work, we shoot for around three to three point five volumes. OK. Still, that's pretty high, right? Very similar to closer to like a that, that's pretty close to like a champagne or like a a, a very well bottle conditioned saison would be a good example. Yeah, a saison. I think champagnes can get up to eight or nine volumes. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so you guys are doing around three and a half to four volumes when you're doing uh, seltzers on your line, right? Yeah, basically at as high as we can get yeah okay and and, and then and, and the, the other part you were talking about is if you have a fuller body beer so like an imperial stout level of beer something like that kind of syrupy or is that what you're you're kind of impl- implying yeah um it it can help if if there is a beer that you feel might be a little too viscous um adding a little carbonation can help liven it up okay and when it comes to the different styles of beer, so for example, let let and we'll we'll go from uh, let let's start with like a British style, like mild, right? They they tend to be the the kind of the cask conditioned beers that tend to be driven by oxygen. I mean, sorry, nitrogen. And those beers are usually conditioned in the cask when it comes to actually getting the carbonation level that they do have. But they have a very low carbonation level because they're a low alcohol beer to give them more mouthfeel. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of why it was uh, it was a little tricky talking about it because you, you can add a, a lot of carbonation to add some body, but, but then at the same time, um, adding, uh, you know, 
a session Cascale is going to f- have a fuller mouthfeel because it's less carbonated. It, it It's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, one of the things I don't think people really understand is how much of the effect carbonation has on the overall experience that you have in beer. Uh, I think that that is specifically when it comes to perception right uh, mm-hmm. uh and I, I to me i i love to use the like really light uh english beers as a great example because we're talking beers like three percent alcohol four percent four and a half tops right and if they were to have a lot of carbonation they would taste kind of wat- watery in a way wouldn't they and yeah and yeah so, they would come off as as thin yeah yes and then, and then when you when you have that lower carbonation, they kind of ha- it, it it allows what body is there and the residual sugars that are there to really come through, and gives it a, a more of a mouthfeel. And then you know throw some nitrogen on there, and you get that nice thick head that sticks around, right? And so it's it becomes its own experience there that uh, is very very indicative to the style. Whereas you know an IPA. Because you have a lot of hops, what what are you looking for for carbonation there? Because you want to really accentuate maybe the hop aroma, and uh, and, and obviously you want to accentuate a certain type of mouthfeel just based on the style of beer, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, for me, I found my IPAs uh, the sweet spots between two point five and two point seven volumes of CO two. That that's where I, I really get that nice expressive aroma and where it's just kind of punching you in the face. But but then you also, um, yeah, it, it it at that volume of CO two, I find that the body of the beer and and the and the aroma just you know that that's <laughs> that's just the sweet spot for it. Um, yeah. It all kind of comes together. Yeah. And then if you were to look at the different styles of packaging and you're thinking, you know, we we talked a bit about priming sugar. Um, Let's talk about like, how do you do carbonation at a brewery and how does that differ from carbonation at like a, at a homebrew scale? Uh, It's extremely different. Um, We, so when a beer is finished, um, we're going to go through a centrifuge, at least my brewery because we're larger and um, af- uh, post centri- centrifuging the beer uh, there the piping actually goes from you know like a typical uh, circle cross section and it goes down into a, a flat slab where um, there's a carbonation stone and it's called a pinpoint carbonator. So as the beer's going from the f- fermenter uh, through the centrifuge to the to what's called a bright tank, which is what we package off of, that's where we put um, nice, bright, clean beer, carbonated beer into. And um, we try and hit our carbonation uh, going to the bright tank uh, through that pinpoint carbonator. Okay, so uh, the centrifuge essentially is you're spinning the beer around really quickly, and it's going to get all the proteins, and it's essentially like filtering your beer, but without having to push it through a filter, right? Yeah, exactly. 
Okay. And then you're going to run it through. And I love this. You guys like basically try to get as much surface area as possible onto that stone so that it actually takes less uh, volumes of CO2 to actually carbonate the beer, right? Exactly. So it, it can actually be carbonated in line. Yeah. So it, like as it's passing over this stone, when it comes out the other side, it's carbonated because you're putting a lot of CO2 on just a small amount of beer. And so it's just like hyper infusing it. And, and all of this process is happening really cold so that uh, it, it's going to take up all of that carbonation very easily. Correct? Right. Yeah. The colder the beer, uh, the better it's going to uptake, the better and faster it's going to uptake that carbonation. And then once you get it into the bright tank, you have this carbonated beer, and then that's where you're packaging either bottles, cans. I know you guys do lots of cans and kegging straight from that. And this is a process that takes about how long from, let's just say, we're going from the fermenter to the centrifuge to through the how long does that process take to actually get to a package? Uh, to a package, uh, it depends. So we we have 30, 90, and um, 240 barrel fermenters uh, because we're brewing in 30 barrel increments. So um, we take uh, the mash ton and, and turn that over three times to fill a 90 barrel fermenter. And so uh, our centrifuge runs typically at uh, 60 barrels an hour. So we can, uh, uh, a 90 barrel tank, we can centrifuge filter that in about an hour and a half. And then sometimes we package the same day if, if we're in a rush, um, but typically the next day, just so that we can make sure that our our carbonation is perfectly in spec and letting the beer kind of settle and come into its own before final packaging. Yeah, so basically you could take an entire uh, 90 barrel fermenter, run it through the machine in, in a couple of hours, let it, let's say you do that at the end of the day, you go home for the night, you come back the next morning and you're gonna package it. Does that seem like the, the process for uh, you? That's pretty much our typical workflow, unless awesome. something interesting happens. Yeah, which it's uh, when you're doing that scale, there's always something interesting, right? Always. <laughs> and then when we talk about the homebrew scale, though, let's go through the process of like, let's say, uh, you know, we, we talk about bottling with with carbonating sugar, but let's talk about like kegging, right? And obviously. I don't have a centrifuge. I don't have a filter, right? Uh, for most most home brewers, we're going to do fining and that kind of stuff to get the clarity. But right. l let's talk about like what is this the the standard methods for taking homebrew into a five gallon keg and getting it carved up to a level that let's say we're shooting for that two point five to two point seven atmospheres. W what would that typically look like? And, and Let's start with like speed carving all the way down to like a standard like slow carb. Cool, for sure. Um, so you get your beer cold first of all, um, whether that's in your fermenter or um, in the in the keg itself. Um, I I like that if if you can't uh, get your uh, beer in your fermenter cold without. Uh, introducing oxygen and stuff like that. I mean, you can totally um, 
get that into your keg, leaving as much trube as you can behind, uh, pressurize and, uh, and get it cold. But, um, once your beer is cold, um, that 2.5 to 2.7 range, um, if you're doing the slow, uh, just set it and forget it. Um, you can look at the equilibrium chart. Um, it, it's pretty simple. You can Google, um, CO2 equilibrium chart beer or something like that. And, and there'll be a, a chart that has pressure and temperature um, across it. And so you measure your temperature um, and then whatever PSI or at your temperature, um, you look at in, in that column what volume you want and then um, you can find what pressure you need to set it at. Um, it's pretty simple. Uh, typically for a, uh, let's say 40 degrees Fahrenheit for 2.5 volumes, you probably want it around 11 to 12 PSI. And then for quick carving, um, it's pretty, it's pretty simple as well. Um, I <laughs> I have never had good luck with it. I always overcarve it. Um, <laughs> but um, what you can do is the 30 psi uh, seems good and and shaking it and what you're doing when you do shake it is you're creating all those little bubbles and and, and you're increasing surface area just like in a professional setting when when, you're increasing that surface area to that pinpoint carbonator. When you're shaking, you, you're letting the CO2 get into the beer uh, in as many ways as possible. Um, and so you can do that for a few hours and just kind of keep testing it. And um, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you're at 30 PSI and you're shaking it, you can do it in I would say like probably half a day, you're, you're probably pretty close, right? With the shaking method. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. My, my personal method is I actually, I, my, my, my keys are set to 37, right? So, uh, between the, and, and it's got a little bit of a range. So my beer ends up being around, it, it's close. It's about 39. If I were to actually take an internal temperature when mm -hmm. I, when I first get it in there. And I will tell you that my, my personal method is 40 PSI not shaking for solid 24 hours and I come out and my beer is just under that 2.5 uh, that, that 2.5 to 2.7 uh, atmospheres. And then what I do after that is I'll then crank it down to my serving pressure and I'll leave it another day because I, I, I'm not really in a big rush. So a couple of days isn't a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. And so, and I'll, and I'll take it down to my serving pressure. And then within 24 hours, I'm like right there that, and that's my, my method. Um, and when I'm just a little low, I'll totally just have a beer off of it. Cause you know, it doesn't taste bad. It's not quite there, but it's close enough that a beer is good. But yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, but but the shake method does get me there faster, and I agree with you. When I shake it at thirty psi, because I have done it in the past, I tend to overcarbonate it because I've 
you know, I, I feel like maybe I'm not doing it in a short enough amount of time and I haven't, and I haven't done it enough times to get the timing down. Right. But I have, I have the same problem when I try to burst carb it that fast and I'm doing the shake method at 30 PSI with cold beer and I keep shaking it every couple hours. I do end up actually over carbing it. And then you've got to wait. So l- l- let's talk about that now. Uh, the overcarbonation, which I, I think if you have a kegging system, at some point you're going to overcarbonate your beer just because you're, if you're like me, you're going to get impatient. So what, what would you say you do if you overcarbonate your beer? Don't freak out, obviously. It's not a big deal. But what, what does that process look like to get it back in line to what the carbonation should be? Yeah, it, it's going to be kind of time intensive. Um, I, I would personally, uh, wait, um, at my, uh, equilibrium temperature and pressure. But if you do find yourself in, uh, such a situation, um, you want to, um, release, uh, uh, basically all of your pressure, maybe not all of it. Um, but, um, it, it's essentially the reverse of carbonating it. Um, if you want to decarb it uh, faster, um, you release most of your pressure and then shake it and let that carbonation come the opposite direction. Instead of going into the beer, it's going out into um, the, its airspace. And just keep doing that until... Um, you know, it, it just slowly releases less and less pressure. And um, then you can dial in your carbonation from there. It, it, it's just all about doing that kind of shaking and getting carbonation out and testing where that's at. Yeah. Uh, and, and and just like the shake method to get it in, you take the, you're, you take the pressure off, shake it, just like you take a Coke, right? And mm-hmm. you shake it and, and you, but you, when you release it, if you shake it and then immediate release it, you're going to spray some stuff out the top. You want to let it settle a little bit and then release the pressure, right? And uh, it, and another thing is, is that also like a Coke, if you were to heat up the beer a little bit, it's also going to take less back in. And so uh, that that's also another method is if you take it out of the kegerator, let it get warm. I, I don't personally think subscribe to this just because i think that temperature swings on beer are probably just not good for beer flavor overall or or packaging stability but it is a way that if you're in a in a bind uh you know if it, if it got warmer it also is going to be less likely to accept co2 right right that that's correct and i i agree with you um that is certainly a, a method you can utilize but I, again i i wouldn't personally do it uh, so let's talk a bit about the, but let's do talk about r- the relationship of temperature and, uh, and, and it's acceptance of CO2. Um, so, you know, w- what do you think the, the better way to answer the question would probably be, what do you think is the optimum temperature to store your beer at for it to get the right amount of CO2. And this could be a personal preference for you, but what is that optimal temperature? Um, For actually getting carbonation in, um, I like that 36 to 40, basically your your serving. Um, 
because uh, as your keg sits there and, and you're uh, pouring beers, uh, if your serving pressure is going to be that equilibrium pressure where it, it maintains a consistent volume of CO2, um, that's where I, I want my um, temperature to be. And that's all dependent on um, your line length and just kind of how you've um, built your system to be serving. Yeah, let's talk a bit about line length because I think that that's something that, uh, you know, you, it's called line balancing, right? You want to be able to have a certain serving pressure where your serving pressure essentially is the same pressure as the volume of carbonation that you want. And you want to balance your lines in a way so that it, it comes out in, in, a, in a proper speed to where it doesn't just like explode in the glass and, and fizz everywhere. And then the, there's no point because you've now just taken all your carbonation out, but also so that it isn't a drizzle that comes out. Right. So what does it look like when you're trying to balance lines specifically in, in let's say a keyser or a picnic tap setting? Cause that's going to be more in line with what a homebrewer is doing versus like a restaurant or a bar could have hundreds of feet of lines and balancing lines. There is going to be an entirely different project. So uh, what does that look like at a homebrew scale? So at a homebrew scale, um, it, it is all very dependent on, uh, yeah, what, what are you typically going to be serving and what, uh, what carbonation levels those are going to be at. So if, if, if you're the, a diehard seltzer fan and you want to be serving your seltzers at, um, four volumes of CO2, you're going to want a lot of uh, line length and um, a much smaller inner diameter because I, I, I believe, and I'm not a, um, a beer uh, tap room uh, expert, but I do believe that there are a couple of inner diameters that you can get your lines in. And the smaller, the better, if you're going to be serving um, really high carbonated beverages. Um, but if you're serving somewhere in the typical beer, beer range, um, I think either is fine. I, I would still consider doing the smaller inner diameters because you need less line length at that point. And yeah, I, I do believe there are a few calculators out there you can utilize, but, um, yeah, typical line, line length. Uh, I think for that two and a half volumes, which is pretty standard for most beers, um, you're going to want about 10 feet. Yeah. You're going to want about 10 feet of line. And that's when we talked about that balancing uh equilibrium chart right that's at that you know 10 to 12 p 
PSI on the keg, right? So you, if you, let's say right. you've got any like 10 to 12 feet of line and, and you're going to get a pour that's going to be generally the right flow that's coming out of your tap. Now, there, there are a couple things you can do, right? So there's things like, you know, uh, flow control faucets could allow you to have a higher pressure maybe behind it and not have to adjust your line length to, to, to get the right flow that comes out so you're still not blasting out. So th- those are other things you can kind of put into the line. Uh, or into the process to kind of maybe help you up those pressures down. But I, I think, you know, you're right. That 10 to 12 feet is about the right length. Yeah. Uh, let, let's talk a bit about uh, when, when you think about, you know, the different types of, uh, of, of packaging out there. Let, let's just kind of sum this up and, uh, and, and, and just kind of get a, a good overall of of what we're kind of talking about today, right? Is basically, you know, if you're bottling and you're trying to figure out the right amount of volumes, obviously there's calculators, those calculators, if you're using Beersmith, you're using Brewfather, uh, Brewer's Friend, any of the major type of brewing softwares, they're going to have built-in CO2 calculators in them. And, and, and a lot of that math's done for you to help you figure out what that sugar is. If you're a brand new brewer, you're going to have that sheet that comes with your kit and it's going to have the volumes already figured out for you. So follow those instructions well, and those are great ways to kind of get there. But if you want to do the math yourself, you're going to want to take and convert it to a grams per liter on the CO2 side, and then figure out how much sugar is going to be there with a mathematical equation. Uh, Is that how you would say if you were going to figure out yourself for bottling, right? Correct. And then Correct. also um, keep in mind, uh, as the beer is fermenting, uh, what temperature that beer is at and um, pressure, which is most likely going to be pretty close to atmospheric, because you are going to have already some carbonation in there. So you you do need to take that into account, especially if you're fermenting a little uh, colder, because there's yep. going to be more co2 in solution before you're even adding that sugar that priming sugar and uh you that you, you could risk some overcarbonation. yeah and we don't want bottle bombs here this is not no. this isn't our goal and uh and so that's a great way to figure it out and then when we get into the kegging piece there's balancing or equilibrium charts that you can you can get and we will link to an equilibrium chart in the show notes so if you're listening to this Go down to the show notes. I'll have a link to an equilibrium chart online so you can check it out. And really what that is, is saying your serving temperature, the PSI that you're going to set on your keg, and essentially how many atmospheres you want to achieve. And that is going to do all of the math for you on that chart to help you get there. And it's a pretty simple process, right? Yeah, extremely simple extremely simple see and i wasn't i i know all this it's just that i wasn't very good at explaining it on my own podcast shocking and then (laughs) i don't know if i did any better Uh, you're you're doing great we're having a conversation (laughs) about beer this is what we're here for yeah Uh, so uh we'll have that on the show and then from there uh another thing to factor in is just what 
when you're doing your tap lines, you want to think about, hey, what is my normal serving pressure going to be? Because like, for example, I, I think if you have a, a seltzer line, you're going to have a different length of line than if you have a standard beer line. Or if you're going to have a beer engine, which I do have some guys in my club that have beer engines randomly, crazy. Uh, yeah, they're going to have awesome. a different, yeah, it's cool. And But he's going to have a very different draft line set up than somebody who's got the standard set up. And from there, you're going to then take your lines and factor them in on your standard. And then you're going to adjust from there based on the type of beer you're serving. Sound that sound pretty much right. Sounds spot on. Awesome. Well, Garrett, thank you for coming on homebrewing DIY, man. I, I really, really appreciate you reaching out and talking to me. And, uh, what, what kind of, since you work at a brewery and you're working at Scott, which is a great brewery, you know, they, they definitely do not suck. Uh, <laughs> you know, what, what, what do you, what, what does it look like for you guys in the next year? And, 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 uh, I, and obviously I hope the pandemic is behind us within the next year. Um, what, how, how are things looking for ska? Things are looking well. Um, the, I mean, I know a lot of breweries are struggling, uh, a, a lot of local breweries or tap room only, um, ones that really opened with that, uh, that tap room model are, are struggling, uh, really bad. Uh, but, um, fortunately Scott is a, you know, we can most can and distribute most of the beers we make. And so we, we've been doing okay. And, um, yeah, we're coming out with a, a couple new beers to try and hit some, uh, gaps in our portfolio and, and yeah, hopefully, um, uh, become, uh, staples or, or yeah, become, <laughs> yeah become <laughs> become staples in the future that's awesome man well well thank you so much for coming on i i really do appreciate it and uh you know if, if you have a subject you want to talk to me about again uh please reach out to me garrett i'd love to have you back on the show awesome will do thank you so much for having me all right and welcome back to homebrewing diy where we're gonna dive in a, to some feedback the first piece of feedback I have here from James, and this is in reference to a episode in the back catalog, our one-gallon batch episode. That's by far one of my more popular episodes, I have to admit. I am a fan of the one-gallon batch. I think they're great. But uh, let's dive into this feedback. Hey, Coulter, you asked me to send you pictures of my first brew day via the patreon messaging and i and james is a patron and and i did say hey when he, he talked about he's expanding his system and i was like hey when you do it send me some pictures and he did which is awesome and uh well that day's come and we went over the week between christmas and new year's and i was so worried that the setup and brewing that uh i never even took pictures however i just boiled that beer which is a clone of new holland's dragon's milk imperial stout with bourbon soaked oak random we tasted that beer last week and i'd never had a dragon's milk before that so kind of cool we were close to one of the numbers of the ABV, which was 9.5%, and it was supposed to be 11%. We used dry yeast, and I think that 
that's what we didn't get our way up to 11. However, yesterday we brewed a five-gallon batch all-grain clone of the Bell's, the Bell's Hop Slime. We could have not picked a worse day. 15 degrees was the high, three inches of snow in the morning. Uh, we're all on propane, so uh, we got a, we were just stuck in the garage. We got it done, and we used the elements to our advantage, and we were chilling, see picks, and he's, you know, got beer diving in the snow. So that's awesome. And uh, then uh, we did a batch of, we, we did do a batch sparge, but missed our volume by almost a gallon, still getting used to the boil-off ratio of our kettles, and we started to boil with seven gallons. Any tips on getting that calibrated uh and then that would be appreciated and i would just chalk it up to 15 degree temperatures and thermal dynamics cheers james so i do have a, a couple of tips for you so first of all you want to have a consistent boil so let's talk about your boil off rate uh, one of the things that you're going to find is that how vigorous you boil is also going to have a direct effect to how much what your boil off rate is. Also, there are many, many calculators out there. Uh, if you go to my brew in a bag episode in the show notes, there's a link to a brew in a bag calculator there. And you can actually measure the width of your kettle, the diameter, uh, you know, and, and it'll actually, based on the diameter of your kettle, that can actually give you a boil off rate as well. But one thing that those calculators don't factor in is how vigorous you boil. If you boil hard, you're going to boil off more liquid than if you do a slow rolling boil. So here's what I do. I actually used to boil my beer really, really hard. And I've actually stopped. I, I, I've now gone to where I just do a nice rolling boil, gentle. Like I get it going, and then once it starts boiling, I turn, you know, if I was using a propane burner, which I don't anymore, but I still turn it way down and, and just get a nice rolling boil and kind of let it do its thing. There, I, I realized that the boil, I'm here in Colorado. If I boil it as hard as I want, it's still 202 degrees versus if I boil it slow and, and steady, it's still 202 degrees. So in all reality, I just try to have a very consistent boil and the same boil every time. And that helps me hit my numbers a little bit better. So I, I hope that tip helps a little bit. And like I said, there, there's plenty of calculators out there where you take the width and, and try to figure it out. But the big key is you want to make sure you're vo boiling at the same kind of, whether it's a, a slow rolling boil or a really hard boil, that's up to you. But it's up, But you want to make sure it's consistent from beer to beer to beer, because otherwise that's one factor in it. So that's my feedback there. The other thing, I, I you know, the the chilling in the snow. Uh, this is one thing that I, I've I've learned is that uh, chilling in the snow actually is an insulator. So, for example, yes, when you first put it in there, it's a nice cool jacket on it. But then snow is a great insulator, and it actually slows down your cool time. So, kind of a one of those things that is just the opposite of what you think it is. That's why when people make snow caves and they put a little candle in there, it can heat the whole thing. Snow is a very good insulator. That is why. So, uh, just kind of one good trick though with snow is that if you have an immersion chiller, you can actually just put snow in a bucket and then 
and then take the hot and a little bit of water and run it through with a pump. And then the, when it hits the snow, it melts it really fast. And then instead of blowing through ice, so that that's the way I would do it. And then you're not trying to run your hose outside. So kind of a trick there. Uh, yeah. And the other thing I would say is that uh, you're talking about we're close to our numbers in the 9.5 ABV and it was supposed to be 11. I, I do have some questions for you, James. So give me a follow-up email. I, I'd love to know what your what your OG and final gravity gravities were and what the exact dry yeast it is. I, I wouldn't actually just chalk it up to dry yeast. It could be uh, a lot of other factors than that. Obviously, there is yeast attenuation can be part of it, but one thing is is that when you're doing really big imperial stouts like that, they tend to finish in the 1020s. And so a couple of things that you can do to get them to dry out a little bit more and get that ABV up, if you go to the Big Beers episode, Ryan talks about some of these things, but like, you know, using sugar to bump up your original gravity, but like, you know, pure table sugar, it also will help you dry it out. That That's going to help you get it down a few more points. Another way is obviously just, you know, what your mash temperature can make a huge effect as well. And also what's your ratio of, uh, of, of different types of like, for example, it, if, if you're using an all extract version of a big beer like this, extract is less fermentable than all grain, which you are doing all grain. But the point I'm trying to make is, is there's a lot of different factors of to why you miss that. And so I, I'm more curious of what your original numbers are. And I'd love to know a little bit more of what that full process looks like to help you kind of try to figure out how to get that to hit the numbers you want to hit. So, uh, love to hear another email from you james so uh thank you so much for the feedback and then i got a couple of reviews that we're going to read today this is a funny one because the last time i read reviews i got feedback that was like hey let's let's get back into the homebrewing diy shows and then i got this this review i got a five-star review and this is from old crow 62 I'm really just getting into the all grain brewing and I know that I have a lot to learn. I have a few books that help a lot and listen to a lot of podcasts and of course, YouTube. I find that your podcast is one of the best. It brings information that I need to know and the way that I understand it most of the time. And as it's presented in a way that's also entertaining and not completely over my head. Sometimes other podcasts, probably due to my lack of knowledge, are teaching chemistry 510 and I'm more of a chemistry 101 student. I really enjoy brewing and want to thank you for your contribution to my brewing education and really enjoyed your last uh, cast with uh, Thomas J. Miller. I was a lot of good information and his book sounds interesting as well. So thank you so much, Old Crow 62. And yeah, I, I actually purposefully try not to get overly technical. I think a good example of that would be the water episode. Water chemistry, when you read a book on it, Go get the John Palmer book on water. It's a great book, but there's a lot of chemistry in there. And it's one of those things that for a long time, I avoided water in my brewing process because I thought it was going to be complicated. 
And then I heard John Palmer later on a podcast where he was just talking about it. Hey, just think of it as like salt and it's seasoning. And he, and when he stepped away from it and talked about it in layman's terms, it made it a lot easier for me to approach. And then now I understand a sulfate to chloride ratio and what that means. But if you don't just jump in and do it, you'll never really get it. And so I uh, totally try to approach really scientifically stuff, scientific things like that in a much needed way that is meant to be layman so that that is definitely on purpose so thank you old crow 62 and then i have another one this is from uh smithy kyle 1973 this is by far my favorite podcast as a newish home brewer the information is very relevant and so useful even seasoned home brewers can learn to enjoy subjects being discussed i look forward to every week and the discussions and opportunities to learn thank you for the podcast and uh i know that uh kyle smith who wrote this out is a patreon so is a patron so thank you very much for also writing a review kyle i really really appreciate it uh now i guess that we're done with feedback in the mailbag let's uh wrap this puppy up I'd like to thank Garrett for taking the time to come and talk to us about carbonation this week. Check out his podcast, Progress Your Beer. If you just look for it on any podcast app, it should show up. It's also hosted on Anchor if you want to look there. I, I also want to thank everyone for writing feedback. I really, really appreciate it. And if you want to write us feedback, you can always send it to podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer or fill out the contact form. Well, that's it for this week, and we'll talk to you next week on homebrewing DIY.